examiner and CSI had been called. A few early risers had gathered and Gratelli had the benefit of a couple of uniforms to keep order. One of them called it in after a Chinese woman coming from the number 30 Stockton bus discovered the body. Gratelli found the dead man's wallet. Aside from the credit cards, much of the wallet's contents were saturated. The driver's license, however, was laminated. Gratelli used a pocket flashlight to illuminate it. The name on it was Whitney Warfield. Gratelli winced. Not usually excitable, the inspector realized what he had on his hands. A big, self-promoting curmudgeon of a novelist and an active political provocateur murdered in a sensational fashion. Gratelli looked around. A few more police cars had arrived, and the intersection was lit like a carnival. Fortunately, because of the hour, it would be a while before the media arrived, but they would most certainly be there before the morning news. Whitney Warfield, Gratelli knew, was a North Beach habitué. He lived just up on Russian Hill. He was a close friend of the North Beach board supervisor, one of eleven elected officials to advise and frustrate the mayor. He had legions of enemies, but they were usually journalists, novelists, the rich and the powerful, whom he held in contempt. None were likely to kill the author over his self-puffery and theatrical tirades, all designed to keep a writer who hadn't written anything of note in some time from fading from the limelight. Gratelli verified the face against the photo on the license and allowed the thin, weak beam of light to traverse Warfield's body, discovering something long and cylindrical protruding from the side of Whitney Warfield's neck. It was a pen, a fountain pen, a Mont Blanc, an expensive weapon to leave behind. The killer had gone so far as to put the cap on the end. Kylie Palladino was afraid she'd be early. Her friend Anselmo was an angel of the night. An old angel, but an angel. He was an artist. Palladino, half of Palladino and Lang Investigations, was recently ensconced in a refurbished office and wanted one of Anselmo's paintings for the large wall behind her desk. She liked having familiar things around her, things that reminded her of people she cared about or times she could remember with fondness. Anselmo was part of that. A friend of her parents, his work was often featured in the restaurant they owned. Anselmo lived in an alley not far from the heart of North Beach, a block from Washington Square and the imposing Saints Peter and Paul Church. The door to his place was open. The stairway that went up to his second-floor space was before her. That door was open, too. Perhaps Anselmo was expecting someone. He would be surprised to see her. At the top of the steps, she could see him in through the doorway of a room beyond the entry. He was face down on an oversized sofa, his huge body a range of rounded hills. As she moved closer, she worried that he might be dead. Anselmo, she said, at first softly, then increasingly louder. Anselmo, 
Anselmo! His face was smashed against the corner of the pillow, as if it had arrived there as a result of some terrible collision. She leaned down, ear against his nose. He was breathing. Mo! she said sharply, still thinking there might be something wrong. The old man awakened with a start. Disoriented, eyes darted for something familiar or solid. He looked at Carly, still startled. For a moment, at least, Carly's face, like the rest of the universe, was undecipherable. Wearing a black robe over some sort of black sleeping gown, the old man lurched to his feet, stumbled, arms stretched out for a wall or a chair or a solid body, perhaps. His face was red, cheek creased, eyes settling now. He put his hand against the wall.